0: Since, since this spring we have had unprecedented number of shots fired incidents within Madison and surrounding communities. Now in regards uh, to, to these shots fired and, and other incidents, um, the city has adopted a number of, of long-term strategies and we've seen some significant changes in our approach to community service in the last several years. Uh, The success of students in the Madison public school system is increasing. Jobs are available. There are training programs and apprenticeships. We're dealing with issues regarding housing, regarding economic inequality, And I'm confident that long-term, we are on the right track, that this will pay off and that it's wise decisions and programs that we've implemented. Most recently, uh, we had the city council adopting a program that's been referred to as, as a rapid response. But we're at a point now where there are a number of individuals within the city of Madison and the surrounding communities who have uh, little regard for the safety of others as well as themselves. They are destroying the fabric of our community and the peace of mind of Madison residents. There's simply no excuse for their level of violence. There's no rationalization that's acceptable. And we're going to take some steps which involves building on prior commitments and some new ones to change the circumstances of uh, violence plaguing Uh, our, our community. A large part of it has to do with guns and we cannot control what is defined as a legal gun, but we can take action as it relates to illegal guns. Now we know without question that there are more and more firearms coming into the Madison area. There's no evidence to show that uh, it's any kind of, of uh, conspiratorial uh, activity. What we can establish in terms of tracing firearms that are taken, uh, where, where there are violations in their illegal use, is that they may have been uh, stolen or legally purchased at Gander Mountain, at Cabela's and then they get into the hands of the wrong people and then when they are used to fire into a home, fire into a vehicle, to shoot at another person, they become an illegal weapon. And I'd asked the staff and members of the police department to do some research. But at this juncture, I'm not going to wait uh, for for their conclusions and recommendations. We know that gun buyback programs are not very effective. Gun buyback programs generally get weapons that are uh, inoperable. They are weapons that um, have been put in a Closet or a drawer and haven't been seen in years. And we're always glad to get those out of circulation. But the illegal weapons that are used in these violent assaults are not the ones that get turned in. Now, in some communities, in Baltimore and some of the cities in Florida, there is a bounty program. A bounty program which is designed to specifically go after illegal guns and we will continue to review we will continue to review the effectiveness of these bounty programs but at this juncture uh, until we have time to complete the research and if necessary uh, adopt the bounty program officially I'm prepared to use funds in my office and to make one thousand dollars available for anyone who assists in the reporting of a illegal gun that has been identified as used in any of the kinds of shootings I've just described. Shootings into vehicles, shootings into homes, shootings in terms of assaulting individuals. The City of Madison cannot control who carries a firearm, who buys a firearm, who sells a firearm. We are not pleased with the Legislature's direction over the last half dozen years in terms of its desire to put more guns out into the streets when the evidence clearly indicates that the more firearms available, the more often they are used and people are shot. But we can try and retrieve these firearms and have them ultimately lead us to the perpetrators. The second emphasis Is on work within the community in regards to changing an ethic that accepts violence. That has to come to an end and I want to make a point right off the start of this discussion. It cannot be effective if it is solely the work of elected officials, or of leaders of NGOs, nonprofits. It has to come from the people who live in the neighborhoods. The leadership that we've seen in past years by Darlene Horner, Diana Small, this is the kind of leadership that can set a new tone and make it very clear that we will not accept violence. We will not accept the presence of individuals who shoot guns at other people. We will not accept the storing and the hiding of these firearms. Now, what we can do is repeat something that we did in the 1990s, which is to have a continued, repetitive discussion about the unacceptability of violence, the unacceptability of harboring those who would bring upon violence to our friends, to our neighbors, to our community. And so with that, we will in the next several weeks see city staff and our partners who are dedicated to ending this kind of violence, working with neighborhood leaders in driving out this unacceptable behavior as we work at it together. In the 1990s, when we were on a trajectory from 1988, 1989, 1991, and into the early 90s. We began a movement of discussing violence and making sure, making sure that the message was very clear as to its unacceptability. The unacceptability of using firearms, within our boundaries. It was embraced by members of the faith community, by so many of our nonprofit partners. In the following years, we saw a significant drop in the violence within Madison. I don't know to what degree that effort contributed to our success. There were so many other things that we were doing at the time. But I see no reason why we can't make this effort today. And again, I want to emphasize, we as community leaders, as elected officials, as, as people who work in neighborhoods, we can have something to say about it, but we cannot lead it. The leadership must come from people who live in our neighborhoods and who are aware of who is carrying these illegal firearms, who is harboring these individuals, where these firearms are stored. Any questions? Considering the bounty program, what's the holdup right now? what are they researching? They're researching just how effective the program is in pulling out firearms um, from the the community, illegally used firearms. So we're looking at Baltimore, we're looking at Miami, we're looking, I think, at Tampa, and and a few other cities that have had a bounty program. Um, But at this juncture... Uh, Given the frequency of what's going on, uh, until we get the research back, I'm willing and prepared to try this uh, as an effort to get some of these guns and the people attached to them under control. So this $1,000, is that per report and is that once there's a conviction? Per gun. It's not tied to any conviction. If we get a conviction out of it that's fine but if somebody gets us a gun that we can identify was used in one of these shootings we will provide a thousand dollars effective immediately is there any sort of limit to the funds you have available to make that offer well until uh, we get a special appropriation for it I'm planning to use the money out of my own budget. Uh, I suppose when uh, we have to start laying off deputy mayors, uh, um, that would be the limit, but I can say this, if that were to have occurred, we'll have gotten an awful lot of guns out of the streets and safely put away. Completed? How would potentially the program change? To just where the funding is coming from? We'll have one is funding source, and two would be standards under which uh, the bounty would be applied. Uh, I know in some communities, if the firearm was uh, used in a homicide, the bounty is increased. Do you have a timeline on that at all? I'm hoping we can get this resolved in two to three weeks. But then there'll be a gap because the council has uh, only one meeting uh, until after Labor Day. How effective do you think this will be, you know, giving this incentive to people in the community to come forward? I I don't know. And, again, that's why uh, for the last couple of weeks we've been doing the research making inquiries of these other departments just to see how effective their programs have been whether they think it's worth pursuing we've been contemplating this for a couple of weeks now um, and and I just don't want to wait I figure there's very little downside Um, we may be wasting our time and a little bit of money but I think it's worth it the more valuable aspect of what we're discussing is there has to be community-based, community-led efforts by the people of this city who know who's firing the guns, who has the guns, who is intimidating people to hide the guns. and, and, And let me just also say there's a responsibility on every gun owner and, and that has to make sure that their guns are safe and secure and cannot be stolen. Uh, someone parading around or announcing on Facebook that they've got a new gun makes them a target. And and when we find out how some of these guns have been stolen, left in a car, uh, not put in a secure place within their home. Um, the owner of a gun who does not securely lock it and protect that firearm really violates the public trust. And so there's a responsibility on all gun owners to secure their firearms. And there's a responsibility on the part of every person who knows somebody, who's fired into a home, who is fired into a vehicle who has shot another person to come forward and to take the appropriate steps to make sure that the community is safer and that a safe harbor is not available under any circumstances. Um, relationships with neighborhoods what if any would the focus and eruption coalition role play in that it has to be people who live in the neighborhood if the members of the coalition live in the specific neighborhoods where we've got these challenges there is a role to be played one of the things that we know on community organizing community base building the work of our neighborhood resource teams. People from government, people from well-intentioned agencies can make a contribution in support of the community. But the standards we're talking about have to come from the community and the neighborhood itself. On the $1,000 circling back to that, would the Folks be able to collect this anonymously because obviously, anytime you drop a dime on somebody, your safety yes. is yes. We okay. will we'll make arrangements, and we, we believe that uh, the 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 laws um, the, the the laws that allow us uh, confidentiality uh, will cover this instance. Has there been any challenge to these bounty programs in other areas? I mean, are you worried about the legality? Not not, not that I've seen. There, there may be again. We have not done a complete job in terms of the research on these programs. Can I ask about the governor's race? What do you think of Andy Gronick getting in? I'm, I'm not going to comment on the myriad of candidates who may appear in the governor's race. Does his candidacy or any other affect your possible decision to get in the no, race? No. Have you ever met Mr. Gronick? Yes. Why do you think there seems to be more challenge to the incoming governor this time around? Any thoughts on that? Um, Perhaps because he's not popular. Um, Back to what we're doing. Um, You you also mentioned that in the next several weeks the city will um, be going into neighborhoods and working with neighborhood leaders. What does that look like? Well, we had a, a a second staff discussion about this yesterday, and we're going to reconvene in the next few days, and maybe then we'll be able to answer it. but we're, we're it's a it's a real challenge because as the city government, we want to initiate it, we want to be supportive, but we also know we can't run it. We know it has to be. Uh, led by people in the neighborhoods, and that's that's the key. We've known from the work of our neighborhood resource teams, our NRTs are most effective when we have neighborhood leaders stepping up and taking over. And whether we're we're talking about a city housing agency whether we're talking about our civil rights office, whether we're talking about people based in neighborhood centers, there's a role for all of us to do. But we cannot substitute for being someone who lives in the neighborhood and asserts themselves and sets the community standard. I mean, if you you look on it... You ask this question, now you're going to get more than you asked for. (laughs) If you look at the history of neighborhoods in this country over the last hundred years, and this has no bearing on income, on race, on class, the neighborhoods that are strong and vital, are the neighborhoods where there are residents who speak up, set community standards, and fight for them. It's not good enough to just say, I'm a righteous individual. Fighting for them is essential. And I don't care how wealthy or poor a neighborhood is or who lives there, if there aren't a sufficient number of people who will make that assertion, you're in control. That's the key. Then it doesn't work. I I am convinced that working together, we will get this done. But in this day and age, We've come to learn that government cannot do it alone. There are constitutional limits on our police department, which are righteous. There are restraints upon uh, the rules uh, that we have as as government for privacy. But it's only the problem solving, the voices of the people who live in the neighborhoods that are the most critical element. Okay? Thank you.